Navy SEAL Sniper, Bronze Star, Purple Heart, Sailor of the Year for all SEAL teams, Lead Instructor at Navy SEAL Sniper School, Taught some of the most legendary snipers in Navy SEAL history. And oh, by the way, not a bad shooter himself. Hit a shot at 2.84 miles. This is just some of the stuff that you'll learn about and hear about from our next guest on the Jarhead Podcast. Our good buddy, Senior Chief Retired, Charlie Melton. Guys, I am so fired up about this. Let's roll that intro. All Marines with the highest level of respect, for we have earned our place as Marines and will accept nothing less than that from you. This is my rifle. There are many like it, but this one is mine. My rifle is my best friend. It is my life. I must master it as I must master my life. Without me, my rifle is useless. Without my rifle, I am useless. What's going on, all my crayon eaters? Welcome to the sock. This episode is going to be awesome. We're really excited to have our good friend Charlie on here, and we're going to talk about some really cool stuff. But before we do, we got to go square away a couple things. First, if you're a veteran and you're in that hole and you can't seem to find that light and you think that you're alone in this world and you're looking for some help, first of all, please contact me 24-7. I can't give you medical advice, but I can be a pretty decent ear to listen and be talking through some stuff. If you're looking for someone that can give you medical advice or point you in the right direction, first of all, remember two things. One, you're not alone. And two, the world is a much better place with you in it. So please contact the Veteran Crisis Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. Once again, 1-800-273-8255, the Veteran Crisis Hotline. Now we're obviously here with the SEAL Team guys. We, he doesn't give two shits about this, but if you're out there and you're looking for information on how to earn the title of United States Marine, please visit the, the website, www.marines.com. Now that we've got all of that out of the way, let's dig in. We are really excited, like we said, to have Charlie. We met Charlie a couple, two or three years ago out in Vegas during SHOT Show at the Antares Alliance shoot and um, got to meet him, got to talk with him, got to shoot some of his weapons and all that. Became good friends, went down to his place a couple summers ago, spent a weekend with with him, and uh, did some long-range precision shooting. First of all, before we even go into any of that stuff, let's just say this. Charlie is a phenomenal cook. Um, he cooked dinner and breakfast for us uh, each day we were there, and oh my God, it's amazing. So uh, yeah, if you're ever thinking about going down and do some, uh, some training with Charlie, I'm telling you, the price of admission is worth it just on the food alone. So, guys, I, I don't even know where to start with this guy's resume. It is amongst the elite, and, and it's funny because you you know some of the famous SEALs out there, like Marcus Luttrell, and Marcus is a good friend of Charlie's, lives right down not too far from him. But when you listen to the Team Never Quit podcast, which I recommend, by the way, one of my favorite podcasts out there, but you listen to Marcus Luttrell, who's this famous SEAL and been through absolute hell in his life and is revered by the public's eye. 
he talks about Charlie all the time. And Charlie, I don't know if you're aware of all that, but he talks about you as being a mentor and obviously a good friend, but someone that he looked up to while in the teams and all that. And so you're talking about someone that's revered by the public in, in the country, and he's looking to this guy. So it's awesome. I know that I'm a Marine. I'm not a SEAL guy. I'm not even a Navy guy, but I really do appreciate you coming on the show, and, and I'm looking forward to this podcast. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. And, yeah, a warrior's a warrior. don't matter what branch you served in. But, That's right. That's and I do care very much about uh, all the veterans out there, and anybody needs help. Same thing you said. I'm always here also. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. And, and um, yeah, reach out to Charlie. You know, reach out to someone, guys, out there. If you're if you're having a hard time, um, the problem is sometimes they don't even know Charlie that they're having problems. They don't recognize uh, their family members might recognize it, but they don't necessarily recognize that they're going through something that's affecting their lives. And uh, a lot of times they don't understand what their self worth is, and they they don't believe that they can do anything outside of the military because they've been in there for so long or they've seen so many things that people don't understand. Well, there are people out there that understand and we want to make sure that you can get help more. Important, we want to make sure that you enjoy life and you still live life. Understand that each day is a new day. And, and sometimes it just takes talking to someone. I get, I get that a lot. People always think I got issues. I don't realize it. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's, well, I think we all have issues, that's for damn sure. So in this episode, we're not going to just talk about the SEAL stuff, which I know everyone wants to hear and, and all that, but we're going to talk about life before the Navy, during the Navy, after the Navy, being an entrepreneur, and everything that goes into it, because there are people out there that want to hear the stories, but you also might be able to help someone who's deciding if they want to join the Navy, or you're reaching someone in whatever branch they are that's getting ready to uh retire EAS out, but they don't understand and how to maneuver through the waters of transitioning and maybe be able to help someone out there that, that helps them do that. And then talk about uh, a lot of different things that maybe what the military did to help you in your after military life. But before we really jump in and dive into this, what we're going to do, Charlie, is we call it the pit in the Marine Corps. When you're going to get thrashed, you mess up, you're going to get thrashed. We went to the pit. Now, I know that in the SEAL team, especially in Budge, you guys went to the beach or went to the water and all of that. So we're going to do a little bit of a rapid-fire word association and all of that. So you ready? All right, here we go. What was your favorite MRE? The best MRE I ever had. My favorite was the Five Fingers of Death. Really? The, the old Frankfurters? Man. Yeah, for MREs now, we end up yeah, like later on in, in life, we got the uh, the mountain house smells, which is way better, mm -hmm. like the lasagna and stuff. But as far yeah. as MREs, I, I was a big fan of the old Five Fingers of Death. What was the worst MRE you had? Uh, what was it? Um, I think the was it the ham, the pork slice or the ham slice? When the ham slice, yes. yes. Have all that gel gel built up in it? Uh, yeah, I, it was like the worst spam that you could possibly have like the with this sugar ice like goo i don't even call it a glaze it was just like this goo that was on top it was it was disgusting like a hundred year old can of spam that had the jelly settled in yeah that was terrible that was just really really bad what was your favorite weapon system slash gun 
that you shot while in the teams? Well, obviously, I enjoy long range shooting, so I think my favorite weapon ever is mags. But I'm a big fan of 300 wind mag, and uh, yeah, I love sniper weapons, but obviously, the old M4 is your primary. But so, oh, yeah, for shooting. And I was a pig gunner too, so I carried the old, the old M60, the old ones, the chopped down ones. But uh, I like those, and uh, Mark, the new Mark 48s we got, those are pretty sweet too. So with those old 60s, how often did you have to uh, change barrels, especially when being cut down? Did they they did they last long, or did you have to change them out pretty frequently? No, they last quite a bit, but I have uh, shot shot so much that uh, I've had some rounds come out the side of them. At night, we'd be shooting. You could actually, they'd get so hot, you could see the rounds going through the barrel, and then they, some, sometimes they would shoot out the side. <laughs> then you have to swap it out. <laughs> That's crazy. I bet that'd be fun to see, though. So whether it was in the teams or wherever, anyone, anywhere in the world, who was the best shooter you ever saw? The best shooter I've seen to this day, uh, I think Jerry Mickledge is definitely one of the most well-trained, fastest, and most like, methodical shooter I've seen since I've been alive. He, Absolutely. He's pretty impressive. Oh, yeah. And if you ever see him in person and, and do a demonstration, it's almost unfathomable how he can do that it's it's unbelievable it's almost doesn't look like it's real it's it's crazy how good and fast he is it's pretty amazing yeah i went to the opening three gun competition last year in scottsdale but he was there and i watched him like live it was pretty impressive he's an impressive man yeah he's awesome he's awesome all right uh what was your first car my first car was a 79 trans am Oh, hell, go big or go home, man. So the question's got to be is, how many tickets did you get in that bad boy? Uh, surprisingly, I didn't get any tickets. I was in Macon, Georgia, so it's a small town. It's a miracle I never crashed it and come myself. It's definitely did some crazy stuff. No, I hear you. I can only imagine. Uh, let's go to this one. What is your favorite war movie ever? Ooh, there's a couple. Um, obviously, I love Apocalypse Now. One of the top ones, and then uh, a few good men, and not a few good men. The one with the marine, what's his name with Gunny? Uh, oh, you're talking about Full Metal Jacket, yeah. Full Metal was, Jacket, that's yes. amazing. Full Metal Jacket, definitely in my top ten favorite movies. You know, I just watched that yesterday, the day before, and I honestly, I didn't watch the whole thing. I kind of stopped right after the boot camp, and honestly, I think that if they would have just stopped the movie right after the whole boot camp sequence, it would have been just as great of a movie. So that, that's just one of the best things I've ever seen. Yeah, well, I actually, it's funny you say that. Last night, me and a buddy of mine, we were watching it, all the out, out clips from it. Yeah. Yeah, it was, oh. that's, that's an awesome movie. Yeah, it was a sad day when when Gunny passed. Man, he was uh, he was a legend, and he'll always go down as the the best drill instructor that the movies will ever see. So over the last you know week or so, we had the crazy weather. I was watching, been watching a lot of movies, and you know watching Apocalypse Now and the Rambo stuff, and obviously Full Metal Jacket and all this stuff, but. I was watching a movie that I hadn't seen in a long time called Act of Valor. And it's about the SEALs. And I remember watching it originally the very first time going, man, this acting is just terrible. And I didn't know that they were real SEALs. And they weren't, they're not, obviously not actors. They were there to perform a technical side and, and be perfect at that stuff. 
But then I found it out, and I was like, oh, man, because I, I did notice everything they did was smooth and was perfect. And I was like, man, these guys have been trained up, but obviously they've been trained up for real. But when you watch movies about SEALs, whether it's, you know, Act of Valor or whatever, how much are you watching or do you enjoy watching those movies? And how much are you watching, like, the technical uh, side of things? I do. I like I like watching all movies. I'm like a movie fan. Like, I don't watch regular TV. I watch movies. I'm a huge movie guy. So I watch every movie. I enjoy all of them. But, yeah, it's like any veteran or the stunts or whatever. You always pick out the little stuff that's messed up. But uh, they're getting pretty good lately. It's funny you mentioned Act of Valor. Uh, one of my good friends, Ray Mendoza, he was actually one of the actors in there. He was the comm guy. Yeah. But, and he does a lot of uh, technical advising now. He's trying to become, yeah. become a director. But, uh, yeah, that was very well done. And I'll tell you, even the John Wick movies, I mean, the movements they're doing there, I mean, yeah, that they actually got some good advising going on. So let's go to, like, SEALs, the old Charlie Sheen movie. And, you know, I talked to a lot of guys that were on teams and all that. And most of them will say, not exactly, but most of them will say that every, every team that they've been around or squadron has been in platoon and all that, Everyone was said, yeah, we everyone seems to have that guy that's like the Charlie Sheen of of their of their platoon or squadron or whatever. Did you guys have one? Yeah, I wouldn't say it that far, but uh well, yeah. Sure. That 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 was probably the that was one of the funniest SEAL movies ever done, probably. But yeah. I'm I'm a big Charlie Sheen fan. I, he's <laughs> yeah, definitely yeah. hilarious, but uh yeah, as far as uh, um yeah, it's combat operating. That was a pretty funny movie, but uh, it's actually a uh, STV instructor when they were filming that. So he came oh, out really? and the O course and everything. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. Right. Got to meet him. <laughs> no, that sounds pretty cool. So we've got one more question to ask before we move into the normal interview. It's going to be controversial. I don't know if you can answer this or not, but we're going to go ahead and throw it out there. Is a hot dog a sandwich? No, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I knew I liked you for a reason. You, you guys are all right. Thanks for doing that. That we always like doing that's kind of a fun, kind of gets the blood flowing, gets the thought and creative processes going. But let's go ahead and jump right into the the, the main body of the of the episode and and talk a little bit about um, your life now. When it comes to joining the Navy, had you always wanted to? join the Navy or be a SEAL or special forces or what motivated you to join the Navy? Yeah. So I, ever since I, I don't know, since my first memories ever, I've, I've always been into guns and love guns. And so yeah. So my old gold cup 45. <laughs> so I've always been into guns and my dad, he did eight years in the Navy. He was a jet engine mechanic, but he had a buddy that was a SEAL Vietnam. He's come over and tell stories. So I always knew I wanted to be in the military, some type of special forces or something. And uh, probably later on in life, I figured out it was the SEAL team. So I ended up, I went to college for about a semester and then uh, ended up going straight into the Navy at 19 and you know, did 20, 26 years. So this might be a dumb question for you, but I'm going to ask it maybe on the comedy side. Um, what was harder, Navy boot camp or BUDS? Yeah, to be honest with you, I think boot camp was way harder mentally, definitely. It, like learning how to fold clothes and marching and standing in line all day it was way worse than SEAL training. Like I enjoyed SEAL training. It was fun. Like you're running every day and working out and 
building camaraderie yet. You're cold all the time, but I would go to SEAL training again before I went to boot camp any day. <laughs> wow. I, I've actually never heard anyone say that and all the guys that I've talked to. That's interesting to me, and obviously for different reasons, but that's extremely interesting to me. So, uh, okay. <laughs> so the next thing we want to talk about is, is, I don't know if it is now, and I think it's different now, but I know that I heard that when you were going through BUDS, that just when you finished BUDS, you weren't going to receive your Trident. And that's interesting. You had to go to take several steps, and it took a while, not just buds, but a while to receive your trident. Can you kind of talk about that process? So back when I went through, and, and, and probably pretty much most of the time, and when I started teaching SQT is when they transitioned to it. But when uh, back in the day when I went through, you basically went through buds, you graduated buds, and then you went to 82nd Airborne School, learn how to fall out of a plane and shoot open. And then after that, you'd go to your team, and then you get assigned to a platoon. And then you'd have to be in a platoon for one year, kind of probationary period. And then after that, you'd go in front of a board with all the senior, all the chiefs and senior mass chiefs and CO and all that. And they would question you on all this stuff. You had to learn everything about weapons and parachutes, everything you do. So you'd have to go through the board. And then if you pass the board, then they would award you your trident. So it was about a two and a half year process, three years or some people. Now, when you graduate, so you go to BUDS, and then you, after BUDS, you go to SQT, which is SEAL qualification training. And then after that, now when you graduate that, they just give you your trident. So this might be a dumb question, but did Navy boot camp in any way, like, prepare you for BUDS or not really? I would say no, not at all. <laughs> but yeah. it kind of taught you to, actually, it's probably the most education I got on the military, like bearing and, uh, I don't know, uniforms and all that. That, so as far as that, it's, it helped with the Navy and military lifestyle kind of ways, but as far as SEAL training, I don't think so. Yeah, so I, I know you said that you enjoy BUDS, and to me that's hilarious because uh, I, I can't even imagine how hard it is. It's, it's typically known as the hardest training in school in, in the military, and you said you enjoy it, which is hilarious to me, but was there a point or a part of BUDS in itself that – stood out in your mind as like this is not good the toughest part of butts for me was swimming because uh like i barely could doggy paddle or barely knew how to swim when i went to butts actually the first time in boot camp when i took the the seal tryout thing i about drowned and definitely failed to swim part miserably and uh and then i went to a school and learned how to swim and then when i got to butts the first day they threw us in the ocean for a two mile ocean swim which an ocean swim is way different in the pool so yeah, so most of the buds, I was always the last couple of dudes coming in, barely making the time or failing the times. But yeah, swimming was probably the hardest part for me in buds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and people that have never been there don't realize that the Pacific Ocean is never warm. It's always cold, even in the middle of the summer. If it ain't 98.7, you're eventually going to get freezing cold. <laughs> yeah, and just like any other you know, training and, and some of the stuff that – you know, we've been through the SEER, cold weather training, and obviously I haven't gone through any of the stuff that you went through, but most of that extra training is more mental than physical because you have to realize that they're not going to kill you. They're trying to train you up and, and make you better. But how much of BUDS and, and all of that was just pure mental to see how much you could take? Yes, sir. It's all mental. That's kind of like the sign when you go into the BUDS compounds, like the only easy day was yesterday. Kind of like the same thing you were just saying. 
So this is one of my more favorite questions to ask because I think everyone goes through it. And so for you, it might be different, but between either boot camp or buds, everyone has that oh shit moment like this is real and I can't do anything about it. So for you, whether it was in boot camp or in buds, did you ever have that oh shit moment like it clicked like my life is going to be different after this is over? Yeah, and it and it sucks. Yeah, I would say because so my first team was an SDV team, which is still delivery vehicle. You're definitely the hardest, most miserable job in the SEAL teams because because you can get, you, like if you're in the snow or whatever, you can warm up or get warm. But when you're underwater for 12 hours breaking ice, uh, there's no getting warm. You just got to mentally suck it up. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and more importantly, there's nowhere to go. <laughs> and you can't quit. Well, I guess you could. Yeah, I guess you could, but that, that wouldn't be very good. So being in the teams, obviously you're trained to do a lot of things. You weren't just a sniper. You weren't just this or that. You had to learn a lot of stuff. But of all the jobs or all the MOSs or all the things that you did in the teams, what was your favorite? Uh, my favorite job the whole time in the teams is when I, I mean, because you're at a team, you're on a platoon, you do like three or four years of platoon, and you then you'll go take a break and do instructor duty. But uh, I, I enjoyed teaching a lot. So every time I was at instructor duty, I really enjoyed teaching. So that was probably my favorite. So obviously you were an instructor and the lead instructor at sniper school, but where else and what other classes and schools did you uh, teach at? taught SDV school, so I taught guys okay. how to apply the little wet subs. Later on in my career, I was an SQT instructor, so when guys finished buds, I taught the SEAL qualification training. Yeah, and I wrote uh, a lot of the curriculum and stuff for marksmanship and all that. And then, um, and then later on, I was a sniper instructor after that. So obviously, when you're when you're in the teams and all that, once again, you you're not just a specialized sailor. You you have to know everything, everyone else's job, correct? Especially back in the old days, like we were self-supportive. So like you had a, a platoon of 17 guys and you had to, you had to know how to fix your boat motors, work on your guns, uh, do all your ammo stuff, um, comms, everything. You did everything. It was all self-supportive. But uh, yeah. later on, they came up with like a, a thing called log suit. So you had all, a bunch of support personnel come in that kind of took care of that stuff for you. But yeah, in the earlier days, yeah, we got to go to schools and learn it jack of all trades it was, it was it was cool i liked i liked it better that way i think because then people took yeah. more pride in it because they were responsible for their gear and uh, yeah, yeah th things seemed to run a lot smoother you know what what's interesting is a lot of people don't understand when you're talking about uh special forces and all of that whether it's a beret ranger raider seal whatever pj it's not like you can just sign up and say hey i want to be a seal and say hey okay you're there it takes years, and, and before you even go to deployment, it's, it's years from the start time to where you get your schools and all that, correct? Well, just to become a SEAL, yeah, and then after that, you're going to schools the rest of your career. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think I've been to every shooting school in the U.S. and the world, uh, race car driving schools, dirt bike riding, every school you can think of, boat motor schools. <laughs> nice. How was the uh, evasive driving classes? Oh, they're awesome. Yeah, we did evasive driving, and then we did, like, straight-up race car, like, uh, Bondurant, stuff like that. And then uh, we went to Ricky Johnson's dirt bike racing school. Like, yeah, you learn you learn a little bit of everything. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Definitely well-trained. and Well, not well-trained, but a little trained in everything. <laughs> so 
when you went into teams, was the idea of being a sniper always there, or how did it evolve into being that long-range marksman while on the teams? Yeah, I've always enjoyed long-range shooting, and uh, I always wanted to be a sniper from the time I wanted to join the military. So that, that was my goal from the time I joined the military. So I always wanted to be a SEAL sniper and go to sniper school. So, And it took two two deployments, about four or five years, before I actually got to go to the school. And then, yeah, it was the most incredible. It's one of the best schools in Spec War, I think. So how long is the Navy SEAL sniper school? Sniper school is about uh, almost five months long. So it's really hard once you're in a platoon or whatever to cut guys loose to send them to it. But yeah, it's well worth it. You learn you learn a lot of a lot of good stuff. Yeah, I know some guys that went to sniper school, not just the Navy, but uh, whether the Army or the Marines. And I know that most sniper schools are extremely hard, and they they don't graduate very many of their class. So I don't know if you remember or not, but. You know, do you remember about what percentage of your class that started in sniper school actually graduated? Yeah, it's funny you say that. Yeah, even sniper school I have to make the budget and everything. Yeah, I think I, I think sniper school has about a fifty percent success rate in the teams. You said earlier that you'll spend three or four years in a platoon and then you'll go do some instructor duty. How hard is it for you to go from operator to instructor? Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, I remember my first instructor duty. I mean, it's, it's kind of strange, you know, standing in front and talking to people and learn how to learn how to like get your message across what you're trying to teach. But once you once you do it and get the hang of it, I mean, there's no there's no better feeling than seeing the light bulb come on in somebody's eyes when you're trying to teach them something. Well, also, it, it's got to be gratifying to know that you're helping shape the next generation of seals that you know could go and change the world but it's nice I, I would imagine it'd be nice to know that you have a hand in that training yeah it's really cool and it's crazy like the time period i was in like it seems like everybody during my time period like for the guys that like everybody's out there either got books or movies or doing something good so yeah it's great so kind of transitioning from that about the movies and the books and all that one of the people and one of the SEALs that you instructed in sniper school was Chris Kyle. And everyone knows Chris uh, from American Sniper and the tragic story uh, of that. But when you first met Chris and you were instructing him and all of that, did you ever feel like this guy is going to be special and is going to rack up uh, the rate of kills that he wrote, racked up in his career? Or do you think maybe he was at the right place at the right time or, you know, did you recognize that he was a great one at the time? Yeah, I had no idea at all. I mean, I put, I mean, there's a lot of snipers that probably got more kills than Chris Kyle. He just happened to be the, he was in the right place, right time. And, uh, he actually, so I was his instructor and then he went over to Ramadi and I ended up relieving him as the lead sniper. Oh, wow. Did you really? That's crazy. Yep. So yeah, it's crazy world, but yeah, he was just in the right place, right time and did, did good work. But no, Chris was an awesome guy, man. Yeah, everyone that I've ever happened to talk to that, that knew him or at least met him or was around him for any given amount of time said he was a really solid guy. Uh, I mean, obviously, to be that good or at, at the level that you guys are at, you have to be confident, cocky, probably a little bit of arrogance in there uh, to, to be able to do what you do. The interesting thing that I was going to ask you is, is, most of the team guys, now I can't say the same for Rangers, 
Uh, sure as hell can't say the same for Marines, uh, Force Recon, or just Marines in general. But every kind of team guy that I've ever kind of been around or talked to, they all seem kind of chill. Is that just something that, you know, is that normal or does it just happen to be the ones that I've come around? But everyone seems to be like so chill and laid back. Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously it's like any society or whatever, any group of people, you're always going to have the cocky people and the laid back, humble people. So, yeah, I mean, you get that in any group of people you're in. Oh, yeah, uh, for sure. And, you know, like I said, I, I've always heard, uh, especially about Chris, what, what a great guy he was, and obviously tragic to what happened to him. But, you know, uh, I was just kind of wondering, like, if you put yourself or some other, you know, sniper in his shoes at the same place at the same time, would they have accumulated those same numbers, or was he just that special? Yeah, no, no doubt you put any team guy sniper in that in that opportunity there'd be no different result probably and, and i'm not and by any means trying to take anything away from chris it's just one of those you know what is so when we were at your place you know a couple of years ago we were uh, indulging in some adult beverages and just kind of hanging out and talking and we're telling some stories and one of the funniest stories and and it's crazy to me to think about this but uh one of the funniest things you were talking about was the fact that you only carried a 50 cal once into combat and something kind of funny happened with that uh i don't know if you can but if you are able to can you maybe tell that story real quick yeah i think that's uh, the only time i ever carried the 50 on a mission and after 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 having to run about three or four clicks through the city with it extracting getting shot at uh i decided not to ever do that again <laughs> yeah <laughs> totally not worth running through the city with that thing on my back <laughs> I understand that. And, and when you had to engage someone with a 50 BMG, like, you know, 50, 60, 70 yards, whatever it was, inside 100 yards, I can't remember exactly. I bet you that was pretty awesome as well. Yeah, it was, it was pretty awesome. Uh, good, <laughs> good ballistic test. <laughs> so I know earlier you mentioned that uh, you started with the 308 and ended with the 300 wind mag. Um Obviously, you get your choice of a lot of different weapon systems and all of that, but I'm assuming that 300 Win Mag is, was your favorite, at least at the time? Yeah, well, as a team guy sniper, you have a suite. So you got uh, 5.56, 308, 300 Win Mag, 50 cal. You got a whole suite of sniper weapons. But yeah, my favorite was the 300 Win Mag because uh, yeah. it was a little more versatile and uh, nobody ever got up from that. Yeah, I, I guess there's not many that would stand up. Um, that's funny. So. During your times in the teams and all that, did you have a favorite place that you you went to or you were in when in the teams? My favorite place in the teams is probably before there was any big wars. I, I used to love the European deployments, like going to Austria and Spain, Italy, all that. That was good times. Back then, we just traveled around and taught other special forces. But Oh, so you're having to do a lot of the, the FID stuff, the FID stuff? Yep. But, uh, yeah, by far the best combat deployment ever was Ramadi in Iraq. That was a... Uh, that was what I thought I'd be doing every day in the teams. But. Yeah, I bet. Um, so what was the worst place that you went to in the teams? Worst place was uh, Bangladesh, probably. Very, very, uh, very dirty. I think, like, I think like 10 or 12 of our boat guys got dengue fever and all kind of crazy stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah, we're pulling a, a, a boat in there up against where 
where the river hit the mouth of the ocean and we'd pull up in there there's like dead cows and bodies like floating on the river yeah, it was pretty pretty dirty place yeah not everything is is as pretty and as sexy as they depict in the movie there's pretty nasty places out there for sure but uh when in the navy and especially in the teams you know you obviously were there for 26 years you retired as a senior chief which is awesome i got a, a two-part question but what was the rank that you were most proud to make but then what was also your favorite rank to be in at the time it was probably senior chief but the best rate was being an e5 because you had a lot of responsibility but you weren't really responsible when shit went wrong <laughs> best rate in the military e5 yeah, I mean, I, I was uh, E4 in the Marine Corps, E4, E5 for uh, NCOs, and I can't speak for the Navy and all that, but yeah, it was uh, it was one of those things where, for sure, in the Marine Corps unit, the NCOs, the E4s and E5s, they were the heart and soul and the backbone of the Marine Corps, for sure. Um, oh, yeah, E5s, definitely. The E5 definitely. Yeah, they yeah, ran everything. Well, that, so. yeah, that's what makes a good uh, chief or senior chief is knowing how to uh, put the right E5s in charge. Yeah. Because they, they pretty much run the run the guys. Oh, that's that's for damn sure. Uh, no doubt. And I think that probably goes across the board for any of the branches. Um, that That is a, a very special rank that I've never heard anyone that said they hated being an E5. So let's transition into the transition. <laughs> Transitioning from being not only just a, uh, in the Navy, but a SEAL for 26 years, there are a lot of guys out there that are, have, are probably wanting to know that maybe have been that institutionalized part of their lives, but maybe a little nervous about transitioning into civilian life. Do you have any ideas or suggestions or thoughts that might help those people that are getting ready to transition back into civilian life? Yeah, I think the best advice I could give is like, don't don't retire and then jump into a job that you're not really excited about the next day. Take take some time and uh, either get a job doing something you like or just take some time off for like a year or two and, and just be around civilians and learn how to do that transition. But yeah, I was lucky when I got out, I got offered a job to run a, a hunting ranch. Actually, Marcus's father-in-law owned it. So I got to man manage that for like a year and that was the best transition job either ever i was guiding hunts like teaching people how to sight their guns and shoot i mean that was a great transition job but i think from what i've seen with veterans they have a really hard problem is when they retire one day and then go sit in a cubicle the next day and start a new job that they're not used to and then they gotta then they gotta figure out the whole civilian military transition and at the same time they're around all these people like eight hours a day sitting in a cubicle or something like that definitely take some time off or get a job or get a job doing something you enjoy doing yeah that that is great uh, great advice and yeah i can imagine that it probably isn't fun for someone that especially if you were an operator or in that high stress level and then going into doing something like at a desk or whatever um i, I love the fact that you said go into something that you're going to enjoy or just take some time off exactly they're trying to make make a living Cause yeah, because obviously military retirement, you ain't making that unless you invested good or something, which I never did. So yeah, I I don't even know. I, I'm too dumb to learn investment. <laughs> Money's made to spend, not to save. 
So kind of the last military question that we're going to touch on is overall reflecting on your 26 years in the Navy and and the teams, you know, what's the one takeaway that you remember just the overall thoughts of your time in the service? I mean, just traveling all around the world and being in different cultures. I mean, I think that's something that most people just don't get the opportunity to ever experience. And, I mean, any culture you go to has like really strange, different things. And most people, yeah, most people don't get to ever experience that. But, but yeah, it's yeah. a great experience. There are obviously people that will go to join the military and and they have never been out of their little town or whatever. And and for a lot of guys in my boot camp, I don't know for you, but you know, in, in my boot camp, there were a lot of people that the first time they were ever on a plane was on the flight to boot camp, which is, you know, it, it's it's good to know that the, the military's out there, you know, let you see the world, give you some experiences. If nothing else, it's going to get you out of that bubble. There are a lot of people that will, you know, generally um, in America will complain maybe about how bad their life could be and all that. But most people, I would say, if you've never been downrange or you've never been overseas and seen how some of these people live, you on your worst day would live like a king in some of these places. Yeah, you're doing, uh, yeah, most people, there's places in other worlds that, yeah, doesn't even compare. And I grew up poor. But yeah, you go to these other countries and you're like, wow, that's, I, I had nothing to cry about. But yeah, the first uh, time I ever flew on a plane was flying from Georgia to San Diego for boot camp. <laughs> Well, I'd hardly ever left my hometown, but yeah, and then going from Georgia, making Georgia to San Diego, California, that was that was a definitely a cultural change. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that the experience of the military is going to allow someone to go places and do things that there's a good chance they would never go or do in their normal lives. So I, I do like the aspect, the idea of ex- exposing people to something that not only they may never do, but they may never thought that they could do. And I think it gives you, it gives you a better perspective on life in general and how, how the world works. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, so you're 26 years in the Navy and the teams and you get out. And like you said, you worked uh, for a little while for, with Marcus Luttrell's family then the concept of Charlie Mike Precision comes up. And, and guys, like I said, I, I've been down there. I've seen him with a class. I've, I've done all that. If you're interested in doing any kind of training, it's not just long-distance shooting. It's rifle. It's pistol. It's transition. It's whatever you want to do. Obviously, the long-range precision shooting is, is a big factor. But if you're wanting to understand all about firearms. It's amazing. It's it's fun. I, I watched him teach um, a class, and he's meticulous on everything. But if, if you're interested in, in kind of seeing what goes along with that class, go ahead and, and check the, the description. There's going to be a link to our video that is going to give you a basic rundown of our in, in weekend and our experience down with Charlie and Charlie Mike Precision. And, and the funny thing is, it's not just the instructional side that you guys do customized guns and gunsmithing and all that, but, you know, kind of tell people, if you don't mind, the the story and how the transition with Charlie Mike Precision happened. 
Yeah, so, yeah, it's basically like an experience. It's not like you're just going to the range and some guy's coming out teaching you how to shoot or whatever. It's a kind of experience. You come in, guys usually come in the day before, and we have a little social, make some good food, eat, hang out, tell stories. Then yeah. the next day we'll get up, and then we go in, and I teach principles of shooting, which doesn't only apply to long range. It applies to anything you shoot, whether it's a pistol, long range, or bow and arrow. And all those principles can transition to any kind of shooting you want to do. So, yeah, and then we go out, we do a class, teach you a gun setup, and then, and then we go out and teach you shooting and all the principles and make sure you're doing all the principles right. And we teach you how to build that muscle memory through perfect practice and doing the principles of shooting correctly. And then after that, we'll come back, we show you how to clean guns, and every day we have lunch and then uh, another dinner. And uh, it's just a great experience. And then if you want, we can do pig hunts and... Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just a great weekend. Great weekend, like you got some friends you want to come out and just have a good time. Oh, for sure. It was great. I, I actually had a blast. Uh, every aspect of it was was amazing. But what I really found intriguing and, and refreshing, honestly, um, about how you teach your classes is you don't assume that your students are at a certain level. You take them from step one, no matter if they're a straight up beginner or they've got years and years of experience in, in shooting, you take them from step one and you make sure that when everyone leaves your class that they understand the basics and they're, they're not going to master anything in, in that weekend, but they have the right tools to master the fundamentals of shooting. And now, if you could talk about that for a little bit, I thought it was great to see. Yeah, I think that's one of the things I do different. Like I, I mean, that's anything you do in life until you know the basics of how to do something. There's no point in moving on. So yeah, I really explain every basic principle and how to do it correctly and how to practice it and build that muscle memory. Because if you don't have the basics, like it's like you can't build a house without a good foundation. So it's very important you start with that type of stuff. Absolutely, I, I wish more instructors would would do it that way. I think sometimes they they rush through their curriculum and either to get done with it quick enough or whatever. But I think a lot of instructors rush through the curriculum with make, without making sure that their students know what's going on. Now, kind of going into the customizing and, and customized building and, and gunsmithing and all that side of Charlie Mike, was that something that you always wanted to get involved with and you've enjoyed or what's the deal on that? Yeah, I've always, because even in our sniper school, like, they come in and teach us how to bed and do all the kind of customizing, making accurate rifles, but uh, I've always been into that. Like, I don't have time to do it all, so I, I got a couple partners that uh, do most of the gun building, but uh, I know how it's supposed to be done and what, what's right and what's not. But yeah, I've always enjoyed that, but we have a full-on custom gun shop, so we can build, custom build anything. It's kind of like build a bear, but build a gun. So you come in, you pick out all your components, and then we blueprint it, accurize it, and um yeah, there's no gun. There's no gun that'll outshoot ours. There's plenty that can compare, but outshooting our guns. I mean, they're just and a gun's like. I mean, it's it's like a great tool you buy that's gonna last forever. It's just an investment. It's not like something you're just gonna buy and throw away. <laughs> no kidding. Like when you say it's kind of that build a bear and all that. You know, I've I've been there and and where you guys do the gunsmithing and, and the and the custom work is in that that back part of the building. And when you walk in there for the first time, there's literally like things on the wall. There's bins. It's like, oh my god, I want this. I want that. And I want this barrel. And I want this BCG or whatever. It is like being a kid in the candy store for sure. 
Yeah, and we recommend obviously what we prefer for different barrels or whatever. But yeah, you can we can build it with whatever you want to build it with, and then um, yeah, we make sure it shoots good and ready to go out the door. But yeah, we got some uh, we got some pretty good guns coming up soon. Um, we're teaming up with some good companies, Blackwater and G Two Precision. So have you have you had experience shooting much with the Blackwater? And I can't remember the name of it, but it's got the um, the thumb trigger. Yeah, the thumb trigger. What do you think of that? I like it a lot. Um, actually, I got it right now, and we're figuring out how to put it in a long range rifle. You know, for me, I was shooting it, and I loved it. I loved how they did it. I think it's a very, very cool thing. One of my favorite things from SHOT Show last year, or two years ago, I guess, whatever it was. Um, but for me, for like CQB, and that's kind of like my bread house, is CQB, I don't think that it would be something that would be worthwhile for CQB. But I think it would be a tremendous asset for long-range, especially long-range precision shooting. I agree with you. I think for CQC or like fast shooting, it's probably not going to be a big hit. But for precision shooting and long range, I think it's going to be huge. You know, because the most two most two most important principles of shooting is side alignment and trigger control. So when you take that pushing and pulling the trigger out of there, that that just tightens up your groups. Yeah, because I remember uh, distinctly in your class you were talking, and one of the big things you're talking about is trigger control and and finding that medium and finding that that perfect time to, 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 to squeeze that trigger. And for me, it was always kind of at the bottom of my breath. You're defined the natural movement of your finger because your natural movement of your finger is to curl it. When right. you tr correct trigger control, it's got to come straight back. So you're defining yeah. that natural movement of your body, which is, you got to, you got to figure out how to do that. Yeah. Cause uh, I think what a lot of people may not realize is a little bit of a jerk here is could be 20 30 50 yards off target a thousand yards down range the farther you go the every, every mistake you make is multiplied <laughs> so now that we're talking about that precision shooting uh let's talk about that five thousand yard shot 2.84 miles so when you hit the five thousand yard shot i want to say it was the world record but what has been shot in the last couple of years? Where is it at right now? It's, I think they're up to like 7,000 now or something. There's been a couple guys that's gone seven so far, I think. So, yeah, it's out there. Yeah, you were down in, was it, uh, I guess, southern Utah, down the Salt Flats was a year or two years ago. I can't remember. But you were going after, what, is it 6,000 or 6,800? You were going for, at that time, a new world record, correct? Yeah, I think yeah, we're going for sixty eight hundred. I think like two three years ago. Yeah. We had some uh, we had some uh, optic malfunctions. <laughs> yeah, and that's crazy. And I wonder, yeah, you know, people don't realize that when you're when you're talking about shooting over three miles um, for a shot, you're not using like the normal off the shelf night force optic, you know? No, well, you you can use that uh, night force or whatever optic, but it's all the gadgets that you got to add on there to get right. those. Get that yeah, like the taco was something that was a game changer, was it not? Oh yeah, that's a, that was that was a game changer. Yeah, yeah, because used to when people were trying to, they had to, you see the guns with like a big old twenty inch stock trying to angle the gun. But yeah, yeah, uh, that, that uh, was, HQ, that little periscope deal that that was definitely very innovative, and they've yeah. improved they've improved it since also. Yeah, I remember uh, watching, uh, you know, Marty um, over on uh, Talking Lead was 
was live streaming some of those shots and we were talking and all that during the chat and it's just amazing to watch when you're talking about something like that that the angle that your scope is on and the barrel are are going in way completely different directions it was it was amazing to see that your scope is basically tilted down you're looking right. at the end of your barrel which was a problem with the taco when you start getting past that 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 five thousand. So now they they've invented one that goes off to the side, so you don't catch your muzzle in the scope. They mm -hmm. improved a lot. Yeah, guy. Like I said, I think I think the last guy made seven thousand. <laughs> so uh, question is, is when are you gonna go and get up to about seventy five hundred, man? I know that that's gotta be competitive, gotta be eating at you, but you know it's it's gotta happen, right? I don't know yet. I got I gotta make some more money. It's not cheap to do it. <laughs> I understand that. Um, I know when you hit the five thousand. I I can't remember if you were using it at the sixty-eight hundred, but I know when you hit the five thousand, you were hitting the uh, four hundred eight Tejas, and, and and your good friend Brad kind of came up with that, and he seems to be kind of a, a rifle and cartridge like genius. And you want to talk a little bit about him? Brad designed the cartridge and everything. He's he's like. Yeah, he's probably one of the top three best gun builders and bullet builders in the world. I, if I had to pick out of three people, he'd be in the top three. Yeah, and he came up with that, that 408 Tejas you're talking, and that's basically just a wildcat of a uh, a shy tech, isn't it? Yeah, it's based off the shy tech, and then Brad's got uh, a couple patents on the way bends the neck, and he hand turns every projectile. So actually, so when he when the round goes subsonic, it doesn't tumble; it stays stable. Obviously, the 408 is is not his only design. How, how many designs does does he have? You think? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, but I don't know. Brad's got like two or three hundred different cartridge designs. He actually invented the uh, 65 Creedmoor probably 20 years ago, but just never never got produced or put out there. But yeah, he's right. got all his rounds are pretty badass. But yeah, he's been designing rounds forever. But very smart engineering man. So I know that. You know, you you're at five thousand shot. The travel time was I don't know, was it like fifteen, eighteen seconds, something like that? But when you start talking about over three miles with a seven yard shot, you've got to be talking about I don't know what twenty to twenty five seconds of travel time. Yeah, mine was fourteen, but yeah, those guys going out to those guys going out to seven grand. Yeah, it's probably close to twenty five seconds, twenty four seconds. <laughs> so so yours was fourteen seconds of the five thousand yard shot. So when when that when you send it and it's in the air traveling, like what are you doing during that travel? Are you are you anxious because you're waiting for the hit? But what are you doing during that travel time? Oh yeah, I come off the gun, take a dip, check it out, get back on, find out where the spiders are. <laughs> well, the big thing with that is the wind too, because that bullet's going two thousand feet in the air, so it's hitting. You don't know what the winds are doing up there with the jet stream and all that stuff. So. You know, the, the, the crazy thing that I remember the most about when you were attempting at 6,800, and it was one of the last shots the first day you were out there, one of the last shots that you took, and one of your downrange spotters um, down there kind of by the target, or at least was close to the target to see impacts and all that, said that you missed the target by 30 yards. And for the average person, they hear Dude, he's a he's a precision sniper, missing a target by thirty yards. You know, for me, I'm thinking 
that's at 5,000 yards. And he's like you said, that projectile is going 2,000 feet up in the air and it's traveling 5,000 yards. Missing a target by 30 yards is unbelievable. That's crazy good. And I know it sounds crazy, but that is amazing. But I'm assuming it, at that range, trying to figure out what adjustments to make for a 30-yard miss is almost impossible. It's almost like you can't move anything. It was probably just enough because of wind, was it not? Oh, yeah, that's pretty great. Even when we, when we did the uh, 5,000 yard shot, like it, I think it took uh, 38 or 28 rounds. But all those rounds were in like a probably a five yard circle around the target. That's so great. Group, but yeah. Well, you remember how long just to drive down to check the target was like a yeah. 15 minute drive on the side by side. Oh, yeah, because uh, there were some shots that you took that they either couldn't see or they said it was close and you wanted to go down there. And you're like, all right, we'll be back in 15, 20 minutes, whatever it was. And, and, you know, you're going down there and trying to figure out what adjustments to make and all that. So it's not like you're just sending them round after round after round and just saying, hey, we're going to spray and pray or anything. It's, it's, everything is scientific, is it not? Yeah, you want to see where it's at and figure out what, what, what the wind's doing and all that. So a lot of the guys that I talk to that are snipers, whether they were seals or rangers or scout snipers in the Marine Corps, anyone that's kind of in that, that realm of things that I've talked to, a lot of them say that they enjoy the, the pre-shot stuff of the shot, whether it's the mathematics equations and all that. So I want to ask you is what was your favorite part of taking a shot at long ranges in the suck in that arena, what was your favorite part of the shot? My favorite is when the uh, the when the trigger breaks, because okay. you know once that trigger breaks and everything's perfect, you, you you feel it. You know that you know it's gonna hit the target, and at the same time, when that trigger breaks, you know if you missed or not. That's crazy that you guys could know just off of feel and all of that. That when you when you pull that. You, you'll know pretty quickly if that's a hit or a miss. That's just that's amazing to me. Uh, for me, I, I'm more of a, a CQB and all that. I, I'm really interested in the long range, and I want to get involved in the long range shooting. Uh, it's just something that I don't have much experience in. But for me, I would think that I would probably enjoy maybe being a spotter more than the shooter at that, at that level and that distance just because I like the math. I think that it would be kind of fun to – to do the mathematics and the figuring and adjustments and all that, I think that would be fascinating to do. Um, I think that I'd probably be a better spotter than I would shooter. I think you learn you learn more spotting than you do shooting. Like in SEAL Sniper School, you spend the same amount of time spotting as you do shooting. But you learn a lot more spotting, I think, than you do shooting. Just calculating distance and your the distance and where they're hitting and just calling wind and all that. You learn. I think you learn a lot more spotting than you do shooting. So for the, the the beginner out there, the novice and all that, can you kind of go into what are the general basic ideas of holds and zeroing and and do you work on elevation more? Are you are you dialing elevation or are you dialing windage more? Well, the general rule of thumb is you always you never dial for wind. You always hold for wind and dial for elevation now you can right. shoot holds for elevation pretty accurately and consistent out to seven eight hundred yards but if you're going past seven or eight hundred yards you, i would dial it you're way more consistent and accurate you know 
you talk a little bit, you were teaching me about the mirage and, and looking through that optic and seeing that mirage in front of the target and that how that plays a role in into a shot, especially at a thousand yards plus. That it was just it was mind blowing to think there's a mirage that you can gain information from. Yeah. Well, that's how you figure out your wind speed, direction and all that. You got no flags or leaves or in the desert. <laughs> So transitioning just a little bit, um, and I, we don't want to leave it completely, but what we're going to talk about now is with the Charlie Mike Precision and everything that you're doing with instruction and all of that, was there any kind of traits or, or, or anything that you brought with you from your 26 years in the teams and all of that? Is there something that has helped you the most transitioning from that military into being a successful instructor and a successful entrepreneur after your life in the military? Uh, I think the biggest thing is uh, don't ever quit. Don't ever give up. Can't never could. Don't ever stop. Don't ever give up. And uh, there's a way to, there's a way to solve any problem. And that is as bad as, as good as it gets. It's simple, but uh, that'll take you so far in life, man. Uh, that That's awesome. Charlie, I, I do want to give you a few minutes to talk a little bit about Charlie My Precision, but more importantly, where can they find you? What are you offering? All that kind of stuff, uh, social media, all that stuff. Talk a few minutes about Charlie My Precision. Yep. Yeah, so our plans, I mean, we got a good company, so we do long-range pistol carving courses, either one. And uh, we're based out of Texas, but we teach all over the U.S., so anywhere we got, we got range facilities everywhere we can use. So if you're local town, you got a group of guys who want to do it, just give us a call and we can probably find a range there to do it. Um, or you can come out to Texas, which is always fun. But in the future, yeah, we plan on building more guns. We got some good stuff coming up with some other, other companies, other gun companies and great people. But, uh, yeah, you can reach us at charliemikeprecision.com and then all the social media outlets under the same name. And, uh, the best way, the way it works with us, like I don't set up courses for you to book them. Like, I don't set up a course and have people sign up for them. When you, when you want to do a course, you call, you pick a date you want to do it with the, whoever you want to do it with, whether it's one-on-one -on -one or a group of friends. You call, book that date, leave a deposit, and then that date's your date. So that's different than most people. So you don't have, like, a minimum amount of students to, to do a class with. You're very okay with doing one-on-one. -on -one. Yes, sir. That's awesome. Um, man. I know there's going to be people that would be very interested in bringing you to their range or their club or whatever. If you're going to travel to do a class, do you have a minimal amount of students that you're going to require to, for you to get on that plane or drive to do a class? Yeah, if I travel and go, uh, obviously it's got to be a minimum of uh, six six people, and then uh, and then uh, my airfare and uh, lodging has got to be covered. Well, yeah, um, I can't wait. We're trying to put together a group of guys to go back down to your place maybe in October or so. We're working on maybe about 10 or 15 people. But, guys, I've been there. I've seen it firsthand. If And it's not, like I said, it's not just the long-range precision. It's, it's rifle, it's carbine, it's transition. It's everything and anything that you want to do firearm-related. He, he can do it, and you're going to learn from one of the best that's that's ever done it. So, um, Charlie, I, I really do appreciate you, brother. Um, one thing I love about Charlie is you are literally one of the most humble people that 
that I've ever uh, come around, especially for someone who's been at the tip of the spear and has every reason to be arrogant and all of that. Just the, the way your personality and the way you live your life, man, it's it's awesome. So I'm honored uh, to have you on. And thank you so much for coming on, man. I appreciate you. So before we get out of here, is there anything that that you're you're talking now? Let's say to maybe a, a 16, 17, 18 year old kid that's thinking about joining the military, maybe not necessarily the Navy or Marine Corps, just but the military in general. Do you have any advice or words of wisdom to, to speak directly to that 16, 17, 18-year-old kid and, and, and that might help them in that decision? Uh, yes, sir. Um, military is a great way to do it. I mean, even if you don't want to make it a career, I think it's a great place to go and just get that experience. I mean, that part of part of doing great things in life is experiencing the most you can. And I think even if you don't want to be a career military guy, I think doing one pump or one tour it's a great experience, and it, it provide and it opens up a lot of opportunities for you. So, and every eighteen year old joining the military just for the experience, even if you don't plan on doing a career. Uh, those are uh, phenomenal words, um, and thank you for that. And, and once again, thank you so much for your service. Um, you know, very few people um, understand what you guys go through, and and you sacrificed twenty six years of your life uh, for the betterment of our country, and the vast vast majority of what you did people will never know so thank you so so much for coming on i really appreciate you coming on uh like i said it was an honor to have you on here and i'm looking forward to see you again soon man me too i appreciate you having me and uh, always a pleasure you guys got to get back out here uh, as soon as you can <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna try to get down there this fall man i, I appreciate you uh, so guys thank you once again to charlie make sure you go check out charlie mike precisions all those links are going to be down in the description below whether it's the website or all of the uh, social media links or the video that we did a couple years ago at the uh, long range precision class it's all going to be down there so go check all of those out and once again thank you guys for embracing the suck with us thanks again to charlie melton for coming on and once again, thank you for your service, sir. I really do appreciate you. And uh, guys, we'll uh, we'll see you next time. Simplify, guys. Thank you so much for watching and listening to this episode of the Jarhead Podcast. If you like what you hear, or see, make sure you subscribe and leave a, a rating for us or a comment. Most importantly, check out our website www ghosttacticalproductions.com you can check out all of our different podcasts all of our projects and you can check out our swag shop as well until next time guys stay frosty Simper Fidelis